This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Tuesday, December 12th. Canada joins the international call for a ceasefire in Gaza. We'll get reaction from Israel's ambassador to Canada and speak with Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. Plus, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky pleads with U.S. lawmakers for more military aid. The president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress on the state of Canada's support for Ukraine. Okay, we're going to go to New York now, where Canada has voted in favor of a non-binding resolution at the United Nations General Assembly that demands an immediate humanitarian ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. We just heard from Canada's ambassador to the UN at the General Assembly. Canada remains deeply concerned by the humanitarian crisis and its severe impacts on Palestinian civilians, especially women and children. The ongoing humanitarian crisis has weighed heavily in Canada's decision to support this resolution. The vote in the 193-member world body was adopted, with 153 in favour, including Canada, 10 against and 23 abstentions. For more on this vote, I'm joined by the CBC's Chris Reyes, who's been following this story for us all day. So, Chris, uh, break down the, the results of this vote for us. we got the math, but, but who, who's who in, in those mm-hmm. numbers? Well, David, this resolution needed two-thirds majority to pass, and it, it passed uh, without question with a significant, uh, significantly high number of votes. Uh, this resolution was co-sponsored by some 100 countries led by the Arab group and the OIC. And the message that we got from the uh, Egyptian ambassador, he gave a speech before the vote, is that without a ceasefire now, genocide will be used as a tool of war in this mm-hmm. conflict. And with that at stake, as you mentioned, 150 voting in favor of this resolution, including Canada, uh, all of the Middle East, uh, more than a dozen EU countries uh, voted in favor of this as well. 153 out of 193 nations, that's 80% of all the member nations here at the UN. Uh, 23 abstentions. Uh, Worth noting, David, that uh, in the last resolution calling for a humanitarian truce uh, tabled at the General Assembly uh, some six weeks ago, Canada abstained from that uh, resolution uh, on the grounds that it did not explicitly mention Hamas. So this is a significant change in in Canada's vote, in voting in favor of this resolution. And then with the 10 voting against, what we're seeing is Israel and the U.S. increasingly isolated uh, when it comes uh, to calling for a humanitarian ceasefire now. And and voting with them, just eight other nations, a a handful uh, of small nations that often uh, vote uh, however way the U.S. votes, uh, and it's, it, they have only eight other countries I- in their corner. And as you mentioned, David, this is a non-binding resolution, but what we heard from the Palestinian envoy earlier this morning is that this might as well be binding because of its wording. That wording, demanding a ceasefire, is the strongest language that we've yet heard here at the U.N. on this conflict. Essentially, the message is you, you take this vote and you take it to your country, and you say that there must be action put behind this. As you mentioned, though, Chris, Canada abstained last time because the, uh, the motion had no condemnation of Hamas. And today, the U.S. and Austria tried to have a condemnation of Hamas put into the resolution document. Canada supported that. It did not end up being part of the final resolution. So what was the reaction to this? That's right. So the U.S. Uh, uh, Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, before the vote, said that there are parts of this resolution that the United States supported, including allowing for humanitarian aid to get into Gaza, but they could not support a document that did not explicitly call out Hamas and the attacks of October 7th, essentially uh, saying what we've heard uh, repeated uh, by the entire Biden administration, which would be that that would be dangerous. Have a listen to what uh, the ambassador had to say. Indeed, there are aspects of this resolution that we do support. We agree that the humanitarian situation in Gaza is dire and requires urgent and sustained attention, that civilians desperately need food and water and shelter and medical care, that a devastating number of innocent people have been killed and that civilians must be protected, consistent with international humanitarian law. 
And David, Canada not only voted for that amendment, it co-sponsored it, which shows a strong support. And I think what you're getting with Canada co-sponsoring that amendment, but also voting for this demand for a ceasefire and then issuing that extensive letter is that they want to make their position uh, on this conflict comprehensive and clear and not reduced to just one vote. You know, there are many things that happen at the UN that the world doesn't pay attention to, but these votes are being closely watched. As an example, when the United States uh, vetoed this resolution at the Security Council last week, immediately after there were protests outside of the United Nations. So these votes are being closely watched. Uh, countries are aware of that. They're being posted on social media, and Canada included. They know that how they vote will be watched uh, by everyone in the country. All right, Chris, uh, thank you very much. That's the CBC's Chris Reyes for us tonight in New York. Okay, so we just heard about that vote in the UN today, and as Chris said, both Israel and the United States voted against the resolution, while Canada voted in favor. What is unfolding before our eyes will only enhance the cycle of violence. Well, this will not lead to the durable defeat of Hamas, which is necessary, and the threat that it poses to Israel. With the future of Israelis and Palestinians in mind, Canada is joining the international call for a humanitarian ceasefire. We have done so in a joint statement with Australia and New Zealand earlier today, and we have done so this afternoon at the UN. I'm joined now by Israel's ambassador to Canada, Ido Moed. Ambassador, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, David. I, I wonder, sir, what your reaction is to Canada uh, saying it will vote for this demand for a ceasefire at the UN and joining the international call for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. As you may have heard, Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Ambassador Erdan, uh, outlined uh, very broadly, this resolution will change nothing on the ground. Uh, calling for a ceasefire may appease uh, political supporters, but it does not make any difference and has no significance for those people who are suffering right now under terrorist regime of Hamas, it does not help anything in any way uh, the families of the hostages. It does not help in any way those who were victimized by Hamas atrocities on October 7th. If we want to move forward, we have to fight this bully called Hamas genocidal terrorist organization. We have to do it with all means possible because they have vowed to continue their onslaught again and again and again, given the opportunity. And if Israel would indeed agree to a ceasefire, that's exactly what they will do. They will come and kill more civilians, as they have already done in the past. The Foreign Affairs Minister, uh, Melanie Jolie, said today in announce when announcing that Canada would vote for the ceasefire at the UN, she said, we must recognize that what is unfolding before our eyes in Gaza will only enhance the cycle of violence and will not lead to the defeat of Hamas. The position of Canada seems to be, Ambassador, that the strategy your government is employing in Gaza is not going to accomplish what you're hoping it will accomplish. Uh, well, with all respect, I think that this is a military operation, not a diplomatic operation. And at this moment, we know that talking will not make any difference. Speaking to anybody on the phone will not make, make any difference. Uh, it's only one way. There is only one way to move forward, and this is to destroy those who have risen to butcher and maim and rape and kill and burn Israeli citizens because they believe that the state of Israel does not have a right to exist. So a ceasefire, as you may have noticed, is only something that is supported by those, supported by those who call for the annihilation of the state of Israel, chanting from the river to the sea, which means basically that the state of Israel will not have any uh, basis to exist. And in that sense, although the message of the Canadian government is very supportive of Israel's right to exist, um, at the same time calling for a ceasefire, which is the only thing that those on the streets are hearing and chanting, and giving is to those chants will not help us in any way, will not move forward anything, and will not have those, help those who are suffering right now 
in the Middle East. Well, it is important to, to, to point out that Canada today uh, condemned uh, Hamas in, in its statements and did support, obviously, Israel's right to exist and called for uh, the renewal of a, some sort of a track uh, toward a two-state solution. But the argument is coming from the government. And I know you say it's a military operation, not a diplomatic operation, but the two are significantly intertwined, that the the death toll of civilians in Gaza right now is so enormous, it is turning public opinion uh, against the military operation and potentially creating a whole new generation of, of people uh, with built-up resentment uh, to Israel because of the thousands of children, for example, who have been killed and are now orphans. So what is your response to that, sir? A ceasefire existed de facto until October the 7th. Something happened on October the 7th. Some thousands of butchers crossed the border to kill Israelis. That's what we had. So are we going to go back there? Is that the solution? And we have to separate two things between, we have to distinguish between the terrorism of Hamas and the political solution. There are two completely different things. And if we uh, look and listen to what Arab states are saying, they're also understanding that this operation is there to annihilate a terrorist entity that is a threat to security, not of just Israel, but many others in the region. They are not calling for a ceasefire in the sense that Israel should stop and then let's see what happens. They understand that fighting Hamas is a priority right now. But uh, a political solution, which actually Israel was very active on, was happening on the ground until October the 7th. And um, let's talk just for a second about the Palestinian Authority, because I'm not sure that they have even thought about condemning the operation. They didn't condemn the, the operation, actually blamed it on Israel. Uh, at the same time, also, again, uh, negating the Holocaust. And... You know, this is very difficult to, to call for a two-state solution is actually something that is not tangible. At, um, it, it's de facto not possible on the ground when we are talking about the terrorist organization that is actually overpowering the political organization. And the political organization has no basis of support, not within and not without. So what are we talking about? We are talking about an ideal that is not tangible. Right. And to reach a lasting solution, we need supporters who, first of all, take out the spoilers, fight the terrorists, and then perhaps create conditions where trust can be rebuilt. And then we can talk about the further uh, cooperation and collaboration and coexistence between Israel and Palestinians. No, and Ambassador, I appreciate your concerns about Hamas, and we've spoken many times about how they have said October 7th was a rehearsal and they will do it again and again and again, and, and the security threat that that, that presents yep. uh, to your country, and, and, and that point is well taken. Uh, but, you know, the President of the United States uh, told Israel's leaders on Tuesday that they were losing international support for the war in Gaza, and, and Joe Biden described himself as a Zionist in the last 24 hours or so, uh, but he's warning of the shift in opinion and, and bluntly saying that the Netanyahu government doesn't want a two-state solution. So, so pinning some of the lack of momentum there and, and the lack of support there for a peace process on, on the prime minister. So how do you react to the criticism from the president of the United States? president of the United States sent two aircraft carriers, a nuclear submarine, to back Israel and to, uh, to, to actually defend the interests of the free world in the Middle East. So when he says something, we listen to it. We listen to it very carefully. But he is there standing with us side by side, unequivocally, strong and solid, showing the world and showing though our enemies what friends are made of and what we mean when we are talking about uh, partnership. We are fighting a terrorist organization with all the means that we have, and we have to win. If we don't win, we don't exist. So when uh, we are talking about the future of this solution, we're talking about the days that come ahead, of course we listen, but to tell you that we have a solution, that we have an idea, well, nobody really anticipated that this war will be forced on us. Nobody anticipated that we'll have to wage such a broad war against an organization that has been supported by Iran to an extent that they have weapons and weaponry 
and uh, and munition and so on and infrastructure that enables them to perpetrate such an, an attack against Israel. So reality changes, but at the end of the day, we have to fight this war and we have to win this war. You say you listen to President Biden uh, because of the aid and the support he's given you. Uh, I wonder, do you listen to Canada when it makes statements like it did today and what today means for Canada-Israel relations? It's a two-way street. We talk, we hear, we listen. If we, if we are uh, creating channels of communication and we are transmitting messages, we are listening. So today, uh, I think... We have heard that uh, from Minister Jolie, the countries that she's consulted with. Uh, I'm sure that uh, at, at, at the end of the day, in our in our relationship, as I also said to the Prime Minister uh, in person, our, our channels are open and they are there exactly for uh, the ability to discuss uh, issues of any nature, any, uh, any interest. We would not always see eye to eye, but that's what friends are about, to talk about things. So when this kind of a decision is made, it will not be uh, conducive to the relationship between the two countries, that's for sure. Well, did Prime Minister Netanyahu convey that to Prime Minister Trudeau when they spoke today, sir? I, I'm just wondering if you have any details on how that conversation went, and, and if you agree with President Biden that, that world opinion might be shifting on this. Uh, I wouldn't like to go into detail about the uh, discussions between the two prime ministers, but uh, I think that what is what we are witnessing in the world is um, an idea that there is sort of a magic solution for a problem that is deeply rooted uh, when you have a country like Iran that has the means and the ways and the intent and the motivation to destroy the state of Israel. It's hard from a distance to understand and to appreciate that. But Iran is the culprit, Hamas is the executor, and we have to fight them. There is no other alternative. To talk about a two-state solution now is like turning your back on a murderer and trying to, uh, I don't know, do something completely different. It, that is not the issue at stake right now. Uh, having a two-state solution tomorrow morning will not change Hamas's intent and capability to kill Israelis and to achieve, to try to achieve their goal of destroying the state of Israel. Because Hamas is not part of it. Hamas does not want a two-state solution. So Hamas is the enemy and we have to fight them because they are fighting. They didn't stop. So talking about us stopping will not stop anything, will not make any difference. Right, well, the, the point call, of the matter is that on the ground we are fighting an organization that is continuing to try to kill us. So why would we stop? Right. The call is for both sides to stop, uh, not just for Israel to halt its uh, military action. Uh, but, but I appreciate your point that a terrorist organization is different uh, than dealing with a, a nation state. Uh, so just as a final point, obviously Israel is not going to comply with this request for a ceasefire? Are you going to continue with your operation until you feel Hamas has been eradicated? Israel is doing its utmost to protect uh, people's lives at all costs. We are doing whatever it is required from us by international law, but more than that, by our own moral compass to preserve lives. We are fighting a monster that has embedded itself within the civilian population to an extent that their head of this organization surrounds himself by Israeli hostages, most probably. It seems like that. If he does that, that will be horrific if we know that. But we are at the point in time that trying to fight this organization in a way that will keep as many people safe as possible is extremely difficult. We are resolved to destroy Hamas. We don't have another option. We are listening very carefully to what the international community is saying because we understand this is a broader issue, not just Israel against Hamas. There is Iran there, and it's a broader conflict, but can escalate to a broader conflict. But it is our war, and I don't think that anybody can tell us how to fight our wars. We do it in the way that, we'll, that we know that will ensure our lives and our future in the region. We are there to stay. Israel is there to stay and Israel will win this war anyway and at any price it would cost us because if we don't win, we will not exist.
Ido Moed, Israel's ambassador to Canada. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Thank you for having me. Canada is calling for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. This morning, Canada put out a strong and clear and comprehensive statement on our uh, perspective and positioning towards the Middle East conflict. With the future of Israelis and Palestinians in mind, Canada is joining the international call for a humanitarian ceasefire. Those comments came after a joint statement from the Prime Ministers of Canada, Australia and New Zealand saying we want to see this pause resumed and support urgent international efforts towards a sustainable ceasefire. This cannot be one-sided. Hamas must release all hostages, stop using Palestinian civilians as human shields and lay down its arms. Bob Ray is Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. He joins us now. Ambassador Ray, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, David. Good to be with you. Uh, explain this shift, if you can, uh, in Canada joining the international call for a ceasefire. To, to, up to now, it's been a defense of Israel's right to exist and defend itself, uh, with some calls for humanitarian pauses, but this resolution goes further. Why? Well, first of all, our position on Israel's right to exist is, is as, as firm as it has ever been since 1948. Uh, Canada is never going to change that position. That's That's a Mm -hmm. an absolute foundation of Canadian foreign policy and, and Canadian sentiment and Canadian feeling. What we're dealing with is a humanitarian situation, which according to all the officials that, that we hear from in the UN, all the people on the ground, all the people who are working with refugees and working with the people who are suffering at the moment in, in Gaza, is very, very clear, and that is that the situation is critical. Um, we've received this information from the Secretary General, from the head of UNRWA, which is the UN Relief Agency, which is the key relief agency providing assistance. And when people say, what's changed? You say, this is changing in, on the ground. The situation on the ground is changing. It's getting worse. And so we have to respond to that in a humanitarian way. And that's why Canada says, yes, there has to be a humanitarian ceasefire to allow goods to get in, to allow people to get out, to allow people to not die at the rate at which they have been dying. And the only way that can happen in a realistic way is if, there, if people stop fighting. Uh, nobody can predict how long that will last. Um, the UN, the General Assembly, doesn't have the ability to enforce anything. It just has a way of saying, look, this is a, a critical situation and we have to respond in a way that puts the needs and interests of human beings first. And that's something we believe very strongly in Canada. But you, and you, so, yes, of course, there will be some people. Just go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to get to that. There, there have been some people reacting to this already because you know how calls for a ceasefire uh, are viewed in, in many circles, that it would be a victory for Hamas. Uh, we heard from nope. Israel's ambassador to Canada, Ido Moed, he was on the show to, uh, last hour, saying, uh, that there's no point in a ceasefire because Hamas uh, will not stop trying to destroy the state of Israel. And the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs says it's disgusted and shocked by this hypocritical ca Canadian foreign policy. I just wonder what's your reaction to we, that criticism, sir? My, re my reaction is that the status quo in the fighting is unsustainable from a humanitarian perspective. From the point of view of what is happening to people, it is simply unsustainable. And I think everybody has to has to think that through carefully. Um, the the notion that somehow Hamas is a is a is a victor in today's resolution and in today's speeches and the statement that was made by Canada, New Zealand, and uh, Australia is is frankly just wrong. It's just plain wrong. Um, and uh, there's a phrase that's often been used, and that is that we need to to turn to something called difficult empathy. We need to understand that. Empathy can sometimes be really tough. Um, a Palestinian life that's lost is just as important as any other life in the world that's lost. And it's important for us as Canadians to understand the degree of loss of life that there has been over the last several weeks. And the situation is getting worse. And we need also to turn to what is the longer-term political solution. How do we create um, a, 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 an environment in which people can live side by side, two states that are protected by, uh, by respected borders and boundaries. Um, Hamas should have no role in the future of, of, of governance of Gaza. 
Hamas should have no role in the in the future governance of the Palestinian Authority. You can't have you can't have people in government who are committed to the elimination of another state. But you have to also address the humanitarian issue. You can't just turn away from that and say that isn't important. It is important. And that's what I think has weighed most heavily on everyone's mind in the last few weeks as we've been discussing this issue of, of how, do we, how do we get beyond where we are today um, and how do we make sure that we're making progress in finally trying to bring some peace and reconciliation to uh, a, a very difficult part of the world where there's been fighting going on for uh, for 80 years and even longer. So we need to we need to find some solutions. We can't just keep repeating the same phrases over and over again. And yes, there will be debates, and yes, there will be disappointment and frustration. But I know the Prime Minister and, and Mr. Netanyahu, who spoke for a long time today, I wasn't part of the call, but I, 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 I do know that they had a very candid and, and it was not an easy exchange, but it was an important exchange. We're going to have differences of opinion on some things, but on the foundational principles, there should be peace, it should be based on mutual security, there has to be a recognition of the need to protect human life. We all are subject to the role of, the, the, the role of international law, and, and we are all subject to, to, to these basic elements of, of public policy that right. should apply to us as they apply to others, and that's the, that's the battle we're so, so the hope, uh, uh, Ambassador Ray, if you're still there, because you're breaking up just a little bit, uh, is that uh, as Melanie Jolie and I the would Prime never Minister, break up with you, David. Never. never. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but but the hope is to restart some sort of a process to lead to a two-state solution. This is what uh, Minister Jolie said today. This is what you've also referenced there. But President Biden said quite candidly that he doesn't believe the government of Benjamin Netanyahu wants a two-state solution, certainly not with the very conservative components of his particular coalition government. So are the conditions of those sorts of conversations even possible right now with the composition of the government of Israel, the, the weak and discredited position of the Palestinian Authority, and obviously of the international unacceptance of, of Hamas as a partner in this? Well, we have to try. Of course, it's going to be difficult. Of course, it's, it's challenging. But if we don't start, and it's been an interesting today in the discussion, in the debate in the General Assembly, many, many countries talking about the need for solutions, the need for longer-term political solutions. Uh, countries from all parts of the world. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that we, together with New Zealand and Australia, we've really joined together. That relationship is deepening. We're looking to talk to as many people as we can and to engage with people. There are no illusions that this is easy, but the status quo is not easy. In fact, the status quo is not working at all. And so we have to understand that because that's not working, we've got to try to find the things that work. We've got to be creative, we've got to be determined, uh, and we've got to be principled. And I think we've demonstrated that today. Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you. Good to talk to you. All right, that was Bob Ray in New York. All right, it's time to bring in the power panel. They've been listening and waiting patiently on this because it's been a bit of a rock and roll show. Uh, the Global Mail's Kelly Kreiderman is here. Francoise Boivin is also joining us tonight. She's a former NDP MP and a political commentator. And here with me in studio, in person, Vanguard Strategy CEO Michelle Cadario and Gary Keller, a vice president at Strategy Corp. Uh, hello to you all. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your patience. Michelle, uh, let, let's start with you. Uh, what did you? A lot has happened today. A lot of things yes. we weren't expecting to happen today. What do you make of this shift uh, by Canada and the rationale for the move? Well, you know, I was really struck by what Ambassador Ray said when he said that the status quo just isn't working. And I'm actually quite proud that Canada has, you know, been clearly working with allies, um, clearly talking to the Israeli government as well, so nothing was done um, by surprise, um, and really trying to work towards what what may be or what hopefully will become a solution. You know, we were one of 80% of the countries voting at the UN um, for this resolution. So it's not like we were standing alone. It really does seem that there is a consensus that is building. And I hope that we can continue to play a really constructive role, um, you know, as a, as a middle power. Um, but uh, there has to be some kind of an end plan to this. Um, and it will involve countries kind of coming together and working with um, you know, both sides of the situation to, uh, to try and resolve it. Gary, uh, Israel may not have been surprised, but they were certainly disappointed based on my conversation with Ido Moa today. And we're seeing Canadian Jewish groups and, and people like Mr. Kotler expressing disappointment in what the government did today. 
Yeah, David, and, and earlier today I had the honor and privilege of meeting with some of the hostage families uh, from Israel who were in town meeting with members of parliament and others and heard their stories firsthand and, and, and those harrowing tales uh, of, of loss will, will, will always be with me. And so that's kind of top of, top of mm -hmm. mind for me right now. Uh, you know, I was struck by the statement that came out this morning between Australia, Canada and New Zealand uh, where it did call for, uh, you know, a recognition of uh, what happened on October 7th. It called for a recognition that Hamas was using rape and sexual violence as a weapon of war, something that finally the Canadian government did after 60 days. And thirdly, uh, it recognized a need for return of the hostages. Then this afternoon, we have voting on a resolution which mentions none of those things at the United Nations. Mm -hmm. And Canada has signed on to that. Yeah, they tried to amend it. The, uh, Austria and the they United did. States it didn't pass, but they, they still voted for the unamended motion. They still voted for the stands. unamended yeah. motion, yeah. which Germany, the United States, United Kingdom, and Italy either abstained or voted against, four of our G7 allies. And so uh, if you, if you uh, uh, like Canadian foreign policy, it changes like the weather from this morning to this afternoon. And I think it's really unfortunate. And, uh, and again, my thoughts today are with the families of those hostages that I was able to meet with earlier today. Um, Francoise, uh, what's your take on, on today? I'm a bit like Gary. At first, when I read the, uh, the statement from the three prime ministers, I'm like, this is, this is clear. This is direct. It covers all situation. It's as if it was a, uh, a preliminary to things to come. It's as if you're talking to two different audience. Uh, the first one, uh, kinds of uh, appease your Israeli uh, friends by saying, we agree, you've been aggressed, you've been uh, denied your existence, uh, what has been done was wrong. Uh, at the same time, they say they want to, to reach, we want to see this pause, resume and support urgent international efforts toward a sustainable ceasefire. So they seem to go along the way that let's continue working that way. Now, settlements are not okay. Uh, this is not okay. It can't pass through Hamas. It was very, very yep. thorough very and deliberate. very clear for once. Exactly. <laughs> and then we hear big news on CBC News World. Canada is about to vote for the resolution. I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong, but I'm saying... It, it, it comes from two kind of different world. And, and you can say till, till you stop breathing that, uh, yeah, but they tried to amend it, but it was not successful. So the bottom line is that they voted in, fo in favor without saying anything. So I, 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 I do understand why my, my, my Jewish friends are a bit uh, uh, peeved today uh, after this, this move because they feel like by just saying we want a ceasefire now, even if it's non-biting, non uh, the pressure internationally because of the over overwhelming uh, vote that was taken in favor of that uh, resolution for which, by the way, Russia voted for and China and India and, and, and Iran uh, will be a bit tough on, on Israel. It doesn't mean that it, it might not help the diplomatic uh, pressure on Netanyahu to uh, maybe start looking on, on how we can get to the second part that Melanie Jolie talked uh, at length uh, this, uh, this afternoon. But I just say it's, it's kind of two worlds in one that we saw today. Uh, uh, Kelly, uh, I, I'm told the, the statement with uh, the Aussies and New Zealand, that's something Canada have been discussing with those countries for weeks uh, because there's some of the Western countries that haven't called for a ceasefire but that have been feeling pretty significant uh, internal pressure uh, as, as this conflict just, just tears through uh, the, the societies. And uh, they found themselves in a very difficult position, right, of uh, supporting Israel and its right to exist and its right to defend itself as cornerstone of policy but also looking at a death toll that just keeps climbing and, and the unrest that that is causing at home. Um, but how do they, how do they defend this um, in the current political and, and domestic environment right now? I think Ambassador Ray summed it up well when he said the situation on the ground demands it and the human toll demands it. And I think there is still the very great problem which Canada tried to address and did address in its statement more substantially than it did at the UN, and that is Hamas. And that is Hamas seeing any stepping back or any talk of a ceasefire as a victory. And again, I think the question in the statement talks first about a pause.
And we already know a pause is possible. We had that early this month. And as the, you know, a beginning step to some kind of cessation to the hostilities, whatever we call it, uh, the pause is, uh, another pause is worth working toward. And I think what you saw today is a movement internationally. We're not only talking about Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. We're talking about the United States. We're talking about Joe Biden, who made yeah. some very strong comments this morning in Washington about about Israel. Uh, you know, the strongest comments we have seen to date from the United States about his concern about the way Israel is acting in this regard. So I think there was some kind of probably coordinated movement for there to be some stronger words today with the acknowledgement that a pause is possible. Again, we saw that this month and with Hamas taking uh, responsibility for, for what it can, um, but also looking to the future. You saw uh, both the president and the Canadian prime minister talking about a two-state solution at a time where we are very, very far apart far away from any kind of two-state solution in any realistic way. So you, you have a push for Israel to be looked at, uh, to be looking at the long term in a major way. Yeah, I was just looking at the, the text of the resolution, and it also, uh, Michelle, it calls for the immediate and unconditional release of the hostages, but also for humanitarian aid to get in. And, and so the argument we've heard from Bob Ray that, you know, the, 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 we need difficult empathy or whatever whatever the phrase was that he used, um, to see the humanity of this, that feels like a tough thing to say to a lot of communities in Canada right now where just the hurt is so ingrained, you know, and, and the loss is so profound and people feel afraid. And I just wonder, you know, how difficult it is to, to carry that message forward, you know, when, when the emotions are so strong on this in Canada. Well, without question, you know, there's so many families in Canada that are directly affected. They, they know people, they have relatives that are over there that have... Um, many have died, some are held hostage, and some are, are still missing. Um, and it, it absolutely is. But we, we, you know, I thought Minister Bob Ray was really um, quite articulate on this and just saying, what, almost, what do we do otherwise? You know, if we want to play a constructive role in this, standing by and not saying something about, about the civilians um, and the casualties and, you know, the, some of the starvation that is happening mm -hmm. for kids... Um, you know, we wouldn't be the country that we are, I don't think. And so I think that the statement that they put together with the other prime ministers, the other countries, laid out exactly where we are. That is our firm stance and how we believe uh, in this uh, um, and who we're siding with and the absolute um, right of Israel for self-determination and to exist. And that Hamas needs to lay down arms um, and surrender. Um, and then there's the work of what is possible, at, you know, when you're trying to bring together, uh, you know, 183 or 93 yeah. countries. And it was quite overwhelming, I found, the 153 that voted for this statement. And I think that that's just a first step. Yeah, uh, you know, Gary, we had Aaron David Miller on the show a couple of times. We're Carnegie Endowment for Peace. Mm -hmm. He was involved in it. He says, we all call for Israel to conduct its war in a more humane way, but we have no better option for them because this is the challenge of the sort of the conflict we're in. And, and like you, I've spoken with family members of the hostages and talked to survivors of the attacks in the kibbutz. But then we've also talked to Palestinian Canadians who have lost hundreds of family members uh, over there. So, so the challenge of this uh, for a country like Canada and a government like this to deal with the domestic spillover over, uh, has to weigh heavily. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't not be moved by seeing the pictures on, on both sides, the, uh, the stories of the hostages. You see the humanitarian uh, crisis that, that has happened in Gaza. Um, but the, f the first starting point is release the hostages. Yeah. That has to be the, the, f the first starting point. And we have seen a degree of incoherence on the government's foreign policy on this, where Bill Blair and Bob Ray originally, after October 7th, were very strong, saying Israel has a right to defend itself by itself. Prime Minister Meli Jolie saying something slightly less strong. Then you had a caucus letter with parliamentary secretary saying immediate ceasefire. Now today you have Anthony Housefather coming out saying he rejects the, the Liberal yeah, MP. He disagrees with the vote. He yeah. disagrees with the vote. The former Liberal MP, former chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael Levitt, saying he's appalled by Canada's decision. Mm -hmm. Like I think there's a, a serious degree of incoherence in Canada's position here, uh, and today's vote does nothing more to uh, to further that. Uh, I just wonder, though, Gary, just uh, what do you make of Melanie Jolie's point today 
that the way Israel is doing this is not going to defeat Hamas. She, she made that plain in her prepared statements after question period today that this will not lead to an enduring victory over Hamas. You know, I think Israel is probably a little tired and the IDF are a little tired of being lectured to by Western politicians when they are trying desperately to defeat a terrorist organization. And this all ends when the hostages release and Hamas is destroyed. Francoise, on that point, uh, that, you know, the argument is that this is just perpetuating uh, the cycle of violence and will just create a whole new generation of people who hate and resent Israel for the losses they've suffered um, in, in the military operation in Gaza. That is me summarizing an argument, people, not making an <laughs> argument. I want to make that clear. So, Francoise, if you'd like to, to respond to that. I, I, and I do understand uh, the point, and I, I understood what Melanie Jolie was saying today, and a lot of people agree with her, that uh, you might defeat Hamas, but there might be another group coming, uh, coming out the, uh, the, the woodwork afterwards, because that's, that's not long-lasting peace, it's just delaying the inevitable, which is going to be another conflict. We have to restart trying to build that two country concept and, and make sure that happens. But it happens when your leaders of the world um, are, are not wishy-washy saying one thing one time and another thing another time. Or uh, what was wrong, 5,000 deaths, 10,000 deaths, 12,000 deaths? At what point is it acceptable and not acceptable? Why is the prime minister not able to to voice the word ceasefire when your country is about to vote on the on the resolution. Those are the things that makes me as an observer a, a bit doubtful sometime on, on, on the sincerity of some gesture. And, and yes, they've been talking to each other, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, but uh, it, it ended today on this statement because they were about to vote a certain way mm. at, at the UN. And it's as if they want to uh, avoid displeasing one person versus another because inside our territory, right. we have different views. So um, th th that's that situation. But I do hope everybody works toward peace and a long lasting peace. But we all know that it's not going to happen tomorrow. Ke Kelly, I, I don't think they expected to take this vote in this position today and not upset people. I, I think they anticipated they, they were going to get a lot of blowback, even from inside their own caucus, because there have been pretty vocal conversations about this, even within the liberal ranks. But uh, I just, you know, what, is this a herky-jerky response? Is this an evolution in their thinking, as Bob Ray would explain it? Because Melanie Jolie said today, uh, for what it's worth, that the pause happened and then, it resumed, the, then the, the fighting resumed, and what happened after the pause is what made them reconsider and, and get to this point. Uh, is that an argument that will, will hold water? I, I, I think so, because it is, it is an evolution, yes, but I think uh, uh, my, the other commentators are right that there has been incoherence to some degree in responding to this. The Prime Minister alluded to that even earlier this week when he gave an interview with Canadian Press saying there are no good answers in this conflict at all. Still, you know, you have the ambassador, uh, the Israeli ambassador to Canada saying, you know, he listens to Joe Biden because Joe Biden expressed solidarity, clear solidarity with Israel right from the outset from October 7th and had a very coherent message on uh, Israel's right to defend itself and the need to get rid of Hamas. And I think that kind of clear language was missing in, in Canadian foreign policy in the beginning. It's been clarified in some ways, and it's, of course, still a work in progress. But you had different officials saying different things to some regard. It, it, it is intractable, as, as many have said, and uh, we're, we're, we're moving along, and it's difficult as everybody is finding out. Yeah. Um, gang, there's lots more to talk about, uh, but there's not a lot of time. So I, I want to say thank you to the Power Panel. Thank you for waiting around for the late start. Gary Keller, Michelle Cadario, Kelly Kreider, and Francoise Boivin. Thanks so much, gang. Great to be with you. You're welcome. President Volodymyr Zelensky made the trip to the U.S. Capitol today to meet with lawmakers and plead his case for more U.S. aid for Ukraine. Putin is banking on the United States failing to deliver for Ukraine. We must 
we must, we must prove him wrong. It's very important that by the end of this year, we can send very strong signal of our unity to the aggressor and the unity of Ukraine, America, Europe, the entire free world. For more on this uh, and some Canadian perspective, I want to bring in Alexander Hitchy. She is the president of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. Alexander, it's good to speak with you again. Thank you. Uh, it doesn't sound like President Zelensky uh, got the answers he was looking for in the U.S. today, that Congress is still tying further aid for Ukraine uh, to action on their, on their border with Mexico. Uh, how concerned are you about the deadlock that seems to be gripping Washington over this right now? Well, I think the entire world should be concerned about the fracturing of support for Ukraine that we're seeing. And of course, given the significance of the United States as the leader of the coalition in support for Ukraine, uh, it is uh, concerning. However, uh, I think President Biden uh, remained hopeful. He offered uh, the opportunity to continue to negotiate uh, with the faction of the Republican Party that uh, remains opposed to delivering aid for Ukraine. Uh, and President Zelensky did uh, come away with $200 million mm. of air and ammunition support today. So it wasn't uh, a complete disappointment, uh, but I think it still has a way to go uh, to uh, have the full uh, package approved. Yeah, $200 million is a lot of money, uh, but the need is in the billions, right? Which is the reality of, of fighting a military the size of Russia. And President Biden said today that we are rapidly coming to the end of our ability to help Ukraine without further congressional uh, approval. What happens if the U.S. doesn't move past this impasse? I mean, can Ukraine, I, I know the determination is there, but would it have the capacity to, to defeat Russia without further American military aid? I think Ukraine is hopeful that its European neighbors will continue to support them in their fight. Uh, these are uh, neighbors who uh, feel the threat far more strongly than perhaps uh, some of the American people, uh, certainly the Baltic countries and Poland understand that they could be next uh, in the uh, march uh, that Putin has started. And so they remain steadfast supporters. And certainly Germany and the UK have uh, really stepped up uh, to the plate in delivering support, as well as other countries. I don't mean to... Uh, uh, ignore them. No, no, it, no, it's not an exhaustive list. There, there's quite, quite a broad uh, coalition there. But I, I know you said uh, off the top that people should be concerned about sort of the, the f fraying of the consensus or the erosion of, of, of support. I can't remember the precise words. You've also been critical of what's been happening here in Canada, uh, particularly with the Conservative Party that have voted against the Ukrainian Free Trade Agreement again today and, and in their line-by-line uh, -line filibuster last week voted against Operation Unifier, which was a, an initiative launched under Stephen Harper's government to have the Canadian Armed Forces train the Ukrainian military. What is your big concern about what the Conservatives are doing and why do you think they're doing it? Well, uh, we are concerned that this is the thin edge of the wedge in Canada, that we, while the Canadian public still supports uh, Ukraine, but any fracturing in the political coalition is concerning. That's how it started in the United States. And what we don't want to see is the same thing happening in Canada. It's critical that Ukraine not be a partisan issue in Canada. And we remain hopeful that the Conservatives, the opposition, uh, will uh, develop and make known their policy on supporting Ukraine militarily, economically, and on the humanitarian front. Their, their argument has been they uh, oppose the free trade agreement because they've had two explanations. Canada is imposing a carbon tax on Ukraine, which Ukraine has actually had since 2011, or that it's unnecessary to insert the climate change language into the uh, trade agreement and that it's empty virtue, virtue signaling uh, by the Liberals, in, in sort of their words. And, and, and in terms of the vote against Operation Unifier last week, they say it was part of a series of non-confidence motions and not necessarily a reflection of their vote, uh, of their support uh, for Ukraine. Uh, do you accept those explanations that we've at least had publicly from the Conservatives? 
Well, the vote on the budget, uh, of course, it's silly season, and we know that uh, the uh, Her Majesty's loyal opposition votes against every budget. That's just uh, part of the uh, right. political posturing. Uh, but th what was concerning was that uh, this vote came so close on the heels of the Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement debate and that it was, in fact, uh, a vote against Operation Unifier, which was a policy instituted by their former Prime Minister, Stephen Harper. Right. So, so this all came up in, in question period today, and the Liberals... Uh to, to no surprise, are using this as a wedge uh, against the Conservatives, against Mr. Polyev. And, and he, uh, he gave an answer today, gave a response to this today in question period that the Liberals also jumped on. So I just want to play this clip and get your reaction to it. Just listen to this. We understand with this miserable record, he doesn't want to talk about Canada or Canadians. He'd rather spread falsehood about faraway foreign lands, Mr. Speaker. Will he not stand up for once for Canada, ax the tax so our families can eat? The criticism there, Alexandra, or the political attack uh, from the Liberals is the use of the word faraway foreign lands, uh, which they say is something Donald Trump has used. They compared it to Neville Chamberlain, uh, you know, 100 years ago almost, uh, in terms of the, the appeasement of Germany. What's your reaction when you hear language like that uh, in Parliament? Is this just nothing, or does that concern you? Well, it is concerning in that it is uh, uh, echoing Neville Chamberlain's appeasement policy uh, during World War II. Uh, and, uh, as, as I have said, I believe that we, uh, deserve to hear what the Conservative Party platform is on foreign policy generally mm -hmm. and, uh, and in particular with respect to Ukraine. Okay, just one last point on this is in the parliamentary back and forth over the Ukraine free trade agreement, uh, the Conservatives tried to amend it a couple of times to have uh, increased military aid for Ukraine be put in there. Now, the Liberals voted against it, arguing you couldn't amend a free trade agreement at this stage. Uh, you, the Ukrainian Canadian Congress has criticized the Conservative votes against things. Why, why are you not upset by the Liberals voting against an increase in military support for uh, Ukraine in that process? Uh, the motions that were made in the context of the debate over the free trade were, I would say, gratuitous. I would uh, think that the Conservatives know that those motions would have been ruled out of order. This was not the context to start introducing your policy on Ukraine. Uh, that should be done separate and apart from a free trade agreement. And, of course, the effect of any further amendments to that free trade agreement would have meant that Canada has to go back to the bargaining table with President Zelensky, and it would have delayed the passage of a free trade bill that is critical to Ukraine's economic survival. We're not just talking about military support, it's economic support and humanitarian support as well. Alexander Hitchie, President of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. I always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.